Happy New Year. Here we go. Annex Wealth Management SWAT Podcast, Episode 84, Monday, January 1st, 2024. It's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. In the studio today, Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist. Welcome. It's great to be here. Matt Morrissey, Investment Team Manager. Hey, Danny. And Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Thanks, Danny. Just wanted to start off with thanking everybody for listening um, each and every single week. We really appreciate it. I know we say that as we start off every single week, but we really do mean it. You know, as we look in 2024 and the year review of last year of 2023, also want to thank you, Danny, for running the helm every single week and being a part of this with us. We really enjoy doing this with you. This week's going to be a little bit different since we turned that page into 2024. Like I said, we want to do both the year in review and a little bit of an outlook. Hope you enjoy. You know, I put a little definition of strengths in here worth mentioning is an ability of an object to withstand great force or pressure. It's one definition. And the idea is to stay disciplined and focused as we go through this 2024 period. The strength will be found in a well-constructed portfolio. And what I mean by that is just go back to the beginning of 2022 and you're rolling into 2022 not having any idea that you're going to have a market that's going to get hammered on both you know bonds and stocks. But if you got the right setup you should be able to weather that storm. It doesn't mean that you have a, a diversified portfolio with 200 companies in it or, or hold 30 mutual funds or something. But the idea is that you have that focus. And, and the strength in terms of the market, I think, is the, the, the continuation of momentum from last year. I know there's parallels that have been drawn to 1999 and how well the market's been doing. And I I immediately go to, well, in 1999, preceding that, you had five years of a of a blockbuster market that if the market was around 200 years, it would have been, you know, that was a record-breaking five-year stretch. Previous to 2023, 2022, you had the NASDAQ down 33%. So last year, 2023, wasn't like 99 in that regard. You got a a bit of a cup-and-handle type uh, formation here. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective is to remember what happened in 2022, kind of setting the stage for 2023, because we know that the NASDAQ was just up an incredible amount in 2023, but it had a really miserable 2022. And I think that's oftentimes forgotten is that some of that digging out of a hole that was dug in the previous year. So that's a really good perspective. And actually, I think that kind of sets the stage as well for some of the strengths that we saw in the economy. I still contend, and I think that it's becoming more widely viewed, is that the economy really wasn't overheating in 2023, despite a very low unemployment rate, very strong job gains, it was still thawing from the COVID freeze. So we can actually go all the way back to 2020 as far as just the hit to the payrolls number and the labor market in general and how long it took to really dig out of that hole. When I look at a trend line for payrolls uh, or population growth, you would see this big divot down uh, during COVID. And we actually just spent the majority of the last three years coming out of that hole. And so some people were kind of looking at, oh, the economy was getting overheated. Was it really or was it just thawing? And so as a result, you know, we had the unemployment rate staying very low, wage gains staying fairly modest, around 4.2% year on year. The big story, I think, was really about inflation. The strength there was we finally got supply chains really unclogged. (laughs) And as a result, seeing the inflation rate, June 2022, 9%. 
starting 2023 at around 6%, ending something close to 3%. That was some tremendous progress and some great strength. From a market perspective, the real story throughout the year was the Magnificent Seven versus the other mm-hmm. 493. I know from a client perspective, almost every meeting I went into, that was the focus of that conversation. Giving some numbers around that, you know, through the end of the year, the Magnificent Seven itself was up over 70%. The other 493 were only up six. Um, that really showed the story of how the divergence throughout the year of large cap versus mid and small. And those Magnificent Seven really fits in kind of like that large cap blend to large cap growth part of it. And really just when you think of kind of that style box, it was one of the nine boxes that really led everything else. In fact, to, to an extent that at one point during the year, the top 10 largest companies by market cap were like 130% of the gain throughout the year. The last two months told a little bit different story as mid cap and small cap kind of rallied back and closed that gap a little bit. So although those numbers are still pretty wide, they've actually shrunk over the last two months, but we got to a spot where those companies got so big that they that a lot of funds couldn't actually even hold them to the amount of weight that they would have in the S&P 500 or in large cap growth. In fact, the the Qs, QQQ is the ticker symbol there, which represents the NASDAQ 100. They actually were underweight them because they, they started to hit the circuit breaker within the fund in terms of how big those positions could be. So throughout the year, that was certainly the storyline. I think almost every meeting I was in is the S&P is doing this, yes, but it's really only seven companies that are actually doing it. Everything else was flat to negative really until the last two months. You know, what's interesting about that, if I could add to that, is that's that part, you know, this is in previous SWATs that we've done, talking about if you've had exposure there at this time last year, there wasn't much going on there, but you were in the right place at the right time come March when that NVIDIA reported. And who's going to take that leadership role this year? And and so part of that well-constructed portfolio is you're set up for that and to take advantage of it. The other thing that in terms of strengths and that discipline and focus, on, you, you don't have to have follow any particular person's predictions for what the end of 2024 is going to look like. I think that's a, that has some entertainment value. I, I had this practice of for many, many years going back and looking at these predictions, and I take notes on them. And, I, and it sounds really <laughs> kind of dumb, but I look at that, and it's just a lot of noise that I think the younger investors shouldn't have to pay that much attention to. What you do pay attention to is you set up canaries in a coal mine to roll with what the market's going to give you and what the market's going to do. You know what sectors or industries are depressed, and we'll talk about that when we get the opportunities. But that's the, the strength of rolling with the market through the year because there's lots of things, obviously, from these predictions you can tell are not going to happen. Yeah. To what extent do you think the weaknesses from 2023 will continue into 2024 or maybe turn to some strengths? You know, when I look at the bigger economic picture, the weakness, Europe was basically in a recession. They had some negative GDP prints. China, their growth was very lackluster. In the United States, some of the weakness maybe was in manufacturing and in housing. Utilities. Although, uh, yeah, yeah, utilities staples. as well as far as like translating that onto the market side. A weakness could then also be that interest rate sensitivity because mm-hmm. that wild ride that we had with yields. Uh, so some of the weaknesses in the economy, it's kind of hard to find, but you know maybe that'll turn a bit to strength economically, but what about in the markets? Great question, and I, I love that question. And, and how you can tell that is 
you know, you got depressed financials, utilities, and staples, and so forth. And there's multiple factors, as you well know, Brian, that contribute to excess returns in the future type of thing. We look at that stuff all the time. I say, you know what parts of the market are depressed? It might be semiconductors one time. It might be home builders another time. The two factors that stand out to me through the test of time is value and momentum. Well, value can stay value and prices stay depressed, but the momentum and the shift in momentum tells you when that sector or industry is making that turn that, that those weaker sectors, the weaknesses you're talking about, are, are making that turn. When will it happen? I don't know. Mm-hmm. When it happens, we'll know. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the key point about that is to, to catch the – and give up something off the bottom. You know, these things go in multi-year runs. Going back over the last few years and a lot of the stuff that I've learned from you, Todd, is you kind of look at purchasing equities or, or investments from the account from a fundamental valuation in a trading. And I've heard you say that trading is about 15% of that equation, but it's a really, really important 15%. And it really does help govern when we buy and when we sell, not necessarily trying to time these things, but it does give you indicators of when you are able to increase position sizes, or maybe when you need to decrease in order to manage a risk within a portfolio. And as the market goes on these big runs, it's really important to know whether or not you're participating with that, or if you're positioning yourself for what's coming next. One of those magnificent sevens was NVIDIA. And to that point is, do you now blow out NVIDIA and, and completely and go somewhere else? I've heard that kind of comment on, on the news. And my response, if I was the one being interviewed, I'd say, I wouldn't, I'd reduce the weighting. I wouldn't necessarily blow it out. And then I'd go down cap to something similar to an NVIDIA Broadcom or something like that to, to pick that up instead. Not that I'm suggesting it now. Yeah, I'm really curious about the when will we see financials finally catch a bid, given that 2023 we did start with a financial crisis. You know, thankfully, the Federal Reserve and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they stepped in to kind of backstop the banking system. Uh, But the big banks really benefited at the cost of those smaller and regional banks, especially in terms of the depositor flow, right? Remember, as far as in March with the Silicon Valley Bank, that bank run there. And JP Morgan is one of the examples, I think, as far as with the banking system, as far as one of the big beneficiaries, they're still paying effectively zero on deposits because people just like their fortress balance sheet that they have there. Uh, And then I think the stock has also probably done pretty well. Uh, I definitely leave that up to you guys to really opine on a little bit more. But um, in, in the past, the financials were always very cyclical, and it seems like things have just kind of broken over the last year as far as the inverted yield curve, those banking issues. Will we be able to put those behind us now as we go into 2024? They're selling a discount to their average valuation. Now it's about waiting for that turn. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll pick that up in the trading. Yeah, I think it's kind of amazing looking back, and we did some charting here internally and looking at it of seeing where the market took off this year. And it really was centered around those banking collapses, which you would generally think is going to be a negative going forward. But it ended up spurring the market with excess liquidity coming back into the system, which was a complete 180 from what the Fed was attempting to do at that time. But in order to stabilize the system, they, you know, that was their mode of, of trying to do that. It really prompted equities to 
to go. Looking at regional banks, you know, they're still down last year, but at one point they were down almost 40%, you know, after some of those large ones really got hit. So they did run, but they're still nowhere near or, you know, are not near where they were going into last year after that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing looking at the markets, breaking it into the three segments. Uh, this is just my simplified way of looking at it, is that you had the beginning with the Magnificent Seven, then all of a sudden you get into the end of July, where the Treasury, they announced that they were going to be issuing a lot more debt than people were expecting with the coupons, and so suddenly yields shot up higher, equity markets sold off. We had a market correction that lasted until about the end of October, so you had that drawdown. And then the third act of the play of 2023 was the broader based recovery that we had coming in. So very narrow leadership going into a correction, everything falls, and then you suddenly have this very broad base recovery towards the end of the year. To finish out weaknesses, you know, I talked about the media and broker calls where the market will end. The key will be to roll through this year. Don't expect a, a bear market. You're going to get two, one, two, three corrections. Uh, along the way. I doubt that it'll be a year. We had uh, one recently where the market basically marched straight up the whole year. We've coming off of a year like we, we just had last year. I, I doubt that. So anticipate the the corrections and take advantage of them. But that's normal, right? I mean, every right. single year, you know, for the most part, we're going to have a couple opportunities throughout the year where the market's going to pull back 10 plus percent. A lot of times, maybe for not a, a really good reason or an evident reason that you don't know till afterwards, but those are providing those opportunities where, you know, from your training perspective, where you're able to pick up on that and see where are the opportunities coming out of that. So while that was a great segue into opportunities, we know that markets don't like uncertainty, but this is an election year. Stock Traders Almanac says election year, bullish year. Incumbent running for re-election is bullish. And there's a number of other factors. You know, we're in the midst of a bull market now. We got a lot of momentum. And you got an election. And what I find always interesting about elections, and I talked to you about this, Brian, is they have a date with destiny. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like wars. You got all this uncertainty and a buildup of war, but you don't have a date. And then when it breaks out, like it had in January 91, the market rallies. Well, this year you got the second Tuesday in November as an election. And so what they found is that an incumbent running for re-election and that loses, you have that weakness in the beginning of the year. Now, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but that's the way I think maybe shaping up and we'll see what happens. Either way, after that election, you tend to have an upward bias to the market. You know, you have a market rallying kind of throughout the year anyway. If it's seasonal, as they put it, you'd expect weakness. And I'm really curious after a year like we've had, what post-January 1st and on would look like. You know, we're in the first day of the, the new year, and there's a different indicator, Santa Claus rally, first five days, January effect. And those three together can kind of tell you what, with a decent amount of probability, what the whole rest of the year would shape up to be. But again, it's statistical. So Yeah, there's there's a lot of variation around that, right? The whole Santa Claus rally, the as you point out, uh, it's the last five trading days of the year and then the first two of the, the subsequent year. And then there's also the phenomenon, the January effect, and the saying about as goes January, so goes the year. So you've got all these historical tendencies, which uh, oftentimes... Which is what they are. The, it, which, yeah. Exactly. So you can't really bank on that in any given year. If you were to play this out over the course of maybe, well, I don't 
know, 100 years, then sure, you know, you could probably play the seasonality. The challenge, I think, is trying to play the seasonality over any more mm, moderate or reasonable time horizon like any given year or even any given few years. We've seen the seasonality break down quite often. I think you could speak for yourself. I mean, I think I got a hundred years. To well, go. you do. So yeah, yeah. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're young and with your clean might living be able to and play all that. that. <laughs> um, what I think is going to be interesting, though, going back with the presidential election, is that in most most of those situations, you have a president and a Congress who have flexibility to increase spending to try to stimulate the economy because people generally vote with their pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a situation due to the levels of debt and where our deficit has gotten to combined with higher interest rates, granted they've pulled back on the 10-year from where they were a couple months ago, but it's still significantly higher than it has been. And the amount of government spending that goes just to service the debt is much higher than it has been, that we might be at a spot where we're hitting that wall that we've been predicting for so long. We might actually be there now where they don't have the free checkbook to go Mm -hmm. out and do whatever they want just to, to spur the economy going. Although we also might need to do that, too. So mm-hmm. the appetite for that is different than what it has been in past presidential elections. So it's going to be interesting to see how both parties come together, if they do, if they're able to, and where that goes, because they might not have the same weapons they've had in the past to try that. Yeah, it's been fascinating listening to a lot of the political commentators uh, who do deep research on this about what pe- what resonates with people in that and fi- trying to figure out what will they campaign on. Right? And so it's not just a matter of uh, what are they, who's going to get elected, but what really are going to be the campaign priorities. And I think you can kind of figure out with whoever is going to be in there once we know who the candidates are, what they will ultimately do. But what will the campaigning season actually look like? Historically, healthcare was always kind of uh, you know t- taken out back uh, because it was everybody liked to pick on healthcare companies heard a lot of talk lately about how maybe that's not necessarily going to be the case because we've already had some reforms. Uh, and then when you look at s- some of the trading and valuation of healthcare, uh, maybe it's not going to be the that historical tendency of being a laggard in the market. But I'm kind of curious about your guys' take about where are some of the like biggest opportunities um, in terms of, is it asset classes? Or is it more within an asset class uh, or within all of the asset classes to find the opportunities? One opportunity is not the biggest bang, but uh, and I know we talk about bonds and, and the possibility of only getting yield out of them, but you've had a really devastating year for bonds in 22. That continued to through October of 23, mm-hmm. that if you would have put those three years together, 2021, 22, and 23 through October, you, you'd have had three bad years in the bond market that you've never seen before. And subsequent to that, the bond market usually rallies pretty good. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see, and it'll be an opportunity, with, and you've had some relief in long rates haven't come down that you might see that bond market still rallying. So you get yield plus a, a little bit of capital gain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, and maybe that's a good transition into maybe some of the uh, threats. Uh, I think that right now there's this big disconnect between what the market is pricing in for Fed rate cuts in 2024. So anticipating six cuts basically starting in March, whereas the Fed has been talking about three cuts. And the truth maybe is going to be somewhere in between. Um, and who knows, right? I mean, they're going to react to the data, but I think that their operating framework 
is one now where they can justify rate cuts as inflation moves lower. But that might happen a bit slower than what the market is currently pricing in. And then does that create the volatility in the bond market? And then volatility in the bond market, what does that do to like growth stocks and those interest rate sensitive parts of the equity markets? Yeah, two or three parts to that. One is that the market's price for perfection in these five, six rate cuts, and it's it's not going to happen. So what happens if it doesn't, the Fed doesn't cut rates that many times? That's That's the threat. The other one is that the bond market is like a canary in a coal mine for the stock market. It tends to to run into problems before the stock market does. There's a threat there we didn't mention, but that rates move back up, that you might possibly see that in a little bit of resurgence of inflation in January. It's totally out out of the box and out of consensus, but certainly is a is a is a risk. We're talking about rate cuts, but what we've talked about a team, as a team a lot is the quantitative tightening that we've been going through and that the Fed is still actively reducing the size of their balance sheet. It's still unbelievably inflated from what it was pre-COVID. They still have a lot of room to go. But as a part of that process, where how are they going to communicate that? that? Are they going to keep reducing as they're cutting rates? Are they going to stop reducing it? Uh, is something going to happen where they're going to have to go the opposite way and all of a sudden starts increasing again? Mm-hmm. And how does the market take all of those different fluctuations there? So rate cuts certainly gets the publicity. That's what gets talked about on CNBC all the time. We've got the little tracker on the Fed meeting dates and when they're going to announce. But a lot of times it's the balance sheet that really controls the liquidity in the market. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they're increasing liquidity or pulling it back is going to matter a lot, especially for those longer duration assets. Yeah, one of the challenges and then an analogy that I think is kind of helpful is if the Fed is cutting rates, that's almost like they're pushing on the accelerator. But if they are doing quantitative tightening, they're also pushing on the brake. Right. And that's not necessarily a great thing to do, especially for the engine of the economy and the overall markets. And maybe that's maybe one of the bigger threats is they don't know what they don't know. They don't know how is that quantitative tightening, at what point do they need to stop. I also think that if they're focusing on backward-looking data, they might be cutting rates a bit too slowly. And so we could see the continued weakness in the economy. Now, according to most surveys, most business owners are expecting a recession in 2024. I don't think we'll necessarily get a recession in 2024, probably just some slowing. But if business owners are already anticipating a recession, they probably have already positioned for one in terms of not overextending themselves, where are the excesses. And so I think kind of circling back to the opportunity as far as the buy the dip in 2024, right. that'll probably be a very strong urge in, uh, in the year. Boy, did you hit the nail on the head with the balance sheet and the quantitative easing. I, since 2010, I said that's a dangerous tool for the Fed to get into the long end of the market through quantitative easing and quantitative tightening, you've made the point that they don't know what they don't know. You'll soon find out um, when it comes to tightening up some of that liquidity. I I agree with Matt in that the, the tensions on the Fed rate cuts, when it when you should also take a look at the, the quantitative tightening part of it, that might keep rates up. And I say that because I don't know that the Fed would ne- find it necessary to cut rates because inflation's down. I think they'll raise rates because inflation's higher. Think about it. Cut rates when inflation's down? No, they'll cut rates when the economy's slowing. And so if there's if that's the case, that they're more likely to cut rates because the economy's slowing, it's obviously not a good thing. 
Yep. The key thing will be why are they cutting? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. That is a heck of a look. Nice job, guys. What is our headline strength? Momentum continues. Headline weakness. China and the credit crunch that we had at the beginning. Headline opportunity. Active management and looking for opportunities to push the gas throughout the year if we do get pullbacks. And our headline threat. Probably a whipsaw opportunity as far as uh, the Fed being a little bit slow to react to uh, deteriorating conditions. Brian Jacobs, and Chief Economist, thank you. Thank you. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, thanks. Thank you. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, thank you. Thanks. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management, LLC, nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.